What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Tip of the Cap podcast. I'm here with my first ever guest host, Chris Gresham. Uh, me and Chris go way back. He actually got me onto my first AA Muni team when I was 18 years old at the ripe young age, just starting out at Inferno Baseball at the time, which would then become New Era Baseball. Um, Chris, tell us a little bit about, bit about yourself. Give the, uh, the audience a little bit of who you are and where you come from. All right. Well, Josh, first, uh, appreciate you having me here today. Anytime. Uh, and yeah, we do go way back from Inferno days and New Era. Uh, we've played together and coached uh, in that organization. So, uh, But that actually was the stepping stone for me to uh, continue with travel, baseball, and then into collegiate coaching, um, currently at Hilbert College in Hamburg, but I've was a coach at assistant coach and recruiting coordinator at Finger Lakes Community College. Uh, and all of that was uh, the product of getting a start at uh, Inferno New Era, parlaying that into time at two independent teams, and then into full circuit uh, with Charlie Karstead. So that's Charlie's my background. Guy. Charlie's a great just, guy. Just talking to Charlie this morning, actually. Great guy. Uh, told me a lot about the recruiting and, and asked I was able to ask him questions about uh, what recruiters were looking for, but also he was a, a scout uh, at the time. He was with the Twins, but he would answer any question I had about uh, what pro scouts were looking for in terms of talent uh, and things of that sort. So I've just been fortunate to be around the right people at the right time uh, with that. In terms of my playing uh, days, I go back to uh, Virginia Wesleyan College, which is now known as Virginia Wesleyan University in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Uh, I had a coach who was fresh off a D1 stint himself and really impacted me before I even knew I was going to be coaching, just the on-field uh, perspective. Uh, I now look back and compare what I do versus what he did. I eliminated a lot of the things I didn't like, <laughs> uh, but for instance, uh, repetition not just repetition for the sake of doing it, but making sure you get it right, uh, because that promotes muscle memory. But our uh, our fear, so to speak, was if you weren't doing a rep correctly and he was watching you, he'd call you out. Right. Uh, and it wasn't just to call you out and embarrass you, but it twofold. You do the drill again to get it right, and then also create muscle memory because you're ending on a positive note. Uh, so that's why... Uh, nowadays, when guys deal with me, um, I really stress the fundamentals and making sure you get the rep right. Uh, but because rules are different now with the amount of time you have with players, especially uh, now NCAA D3 with Hilbert, you have a limited amount of time. So you can't have guys do reps over and over until they get it right because now you might be shortchanging another component of your practice plan. Right. Back in 1989, 88, 89, you know, we'd be out there three, four hours, and he didn't mind uh, do it over and over until you got it right. But that's my background, and like I said, just been fortunate to be in the right place, right time along the way. Awesome. You know, I think uh, some of the best guys that I know in this game are guys that either had a great coach that influenced them or had, you know, like my route was more I never had the best coaching, and I, I wanted to become a coach that I was never fortunate enough to play for, you know, the type of guy. Um, you know, and I think improving on what we liked and didn't like on coaches past is what has made, makes good baseball coaches what, what they are. I agree. Um, 
You know, so last week I put an episode out. Um, we talked about, or I talked about, it was me just spewing into a mic for over a half hour. Uh, we I talked about on-field decorum, the way a player acts, carries himself, and then um, that stemmed into pitch counts, overuse of p- players, pitchers, so on and so forth. And my friend Chris here reached out to me, said he had uh, had some opinions and some thoughts on this and wanted to come on the show, and, well, here we are. Um, so... Let's start with on-field decorum. Um, you know, <laughs> I actually, just the other day, was telling the story of the time I got kicked out of a game when I played with you for literally doing nothing wrong. Um, just, it was a baseball thing that happened. I got fooled on a curveball. Just kind of tossed my stuff, and not angrily, just over in the direction of our dugout and was, hey, somebody pick me up. I got to go play third base. And then all of a sudden I got hurt. I got thrown out. So I uh, just wanted to let you know that that story still gets told in my in my repertoire. So those things happen nowadays because uh, I, I really do think uh, the umpires, they, they are under pressure to do a good job, but there are a handful that become too much of a factor in the outcome of a game that leads to the very topic we're talking about, which is the tantrums. Uh, because if an umpire gets a call right, there's no need for anyone to call the umpire out uh, on, on that call and say, hey, that was a bad call and things of that sort. That doesn't happen if the call is right. Uh, so they are under pressure, but there are those ones that want to challenge coaches and challenge players for doing things. Um, but quite honestly, the whole topic is a direct result of something that uh, I had the fortune of hearing Augie Garrido say in person before he passed. I was at the American Baseball Coaches Association convention back in 2018 in January. He was one of the presenters and he said, we treat winners differently than we do losers. And he said, that isn't my rule. He said, that's just how it is. Uh, And he was absolutely right. This society this country, this world, we treat winners with more respect and view them differently than we do those who, I don't want to say losers, but those who don't win. And because of that, there's a lot of emotion attached to sporting events. Whether you're a participant, whether you're a parent, whether you're a coach, there's emotion because we are judged by winning and losing. And we don't want to lose. And we are competitors. We talk about recruiting competitive players. You want to play with a guy who wants to compete. Uh, and we're talking in the world of baseball, but it goes across the board for uh, you know the uh, female sports with softball, of course, across soccer. But the point is, you don't want to play with someone who doesn't care, right? And I think that players and coaches, we want to make sure that those who are watching know that I care. If I show emotion for failing, at least they know I care. Uh, But when you're on the outside looking in, when you see a player go over the top with throwing a bat or dropping an F-bomb on the field, um, it's viewed differently. So, for example, I was out recruiting uh, Saturday morning. Uh, Batter, I believe, missed the hit and run sign and took the pitch catcher backpicked to first base because the guy was fairly slow, but he backpicked him and he got, you know, he got rung up simple. You know, he got caught halfway in between run down. He was out and he dropped an F bomb 
It was dead silent when he dropped it, and immediately the umpire said, hey, coach, uh, language, and it was addressed. So nothing happened beyond that. We understood the, the uh, player's frustration. I was like, oh, shocked to hear that this early in the morning because right. it was an 8 o'clock start. But the player expressed his emotion, and that was the end of it. But had he continued into the dugout and picked up something to throw it or threw it onto the field, that's when the thing crosses the line. So we can't help emotion. We don't always filter it because we can't because of the scenario uh, and the emotion attached to the game. But you express it, then it should be over. Right. But when it continues, I think that's where the problem uh, creeps in. Yeah. I know. And it's as, as the first base coach at the high school, um, you know, I see a lot of the angry ground out results or the angry pop out results. Cause we, you know, we, we, we grill our guys with, I don't care if that ball is the laziest fly ball that a shortstop's camped under for 20 hours. You, you know, I'm telling guys to get to second on it because if that ball, especially in our place, a good gust of wind blows that ball 10 feet one way or the other, you could stretch what looks like a routine pop out into a double. And, uh, you know, but so more so on the, on the weak ground outs or, you know, that type of play where you get the guy that runs through first base and, you know, punches his own hand and screams it out into the crowd and his parent, you know, all the parents are lined up are along our, our uh, first baseline over there. And, you know, I look like, look, I understand it. I get it. Like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a competitor. I, I want to be in there. And I, my language isn't always fantastic either, especially it's actually gotten worse as I've gotten older, especially in the realm of work that I do outside of coaching baseball. But, um, you know, like, look, man, I get it, but a little bit more. You know, yeah. under your breath, I don't, you know, if I hear it, nobody else does, I don't say anything, but if, you know, the, your 10 year old little sister that's sitting out there can hear it, we have a problem. And news for you, it continues into the collegiate ranks. Uh, you know, there's, again, because of the competitive component, um, you know, players don't want to lose their spot to the backup. Right. Or to the person who's second on the depth chart, maybe the talent levels even, but, you know. Uh, one person is hitting better, but when they don't make, uh, we don't get a base hit, or uh, they ground out and they think that pitch is the one they should have hit to the gap, and they don't do it, there's that frustration we talked about, and then they express it. But too often, again, it carries over into the dugout. And there was a player we had to talk to. This was at Finger Lakes. Uh, we had to talk to over and over about it, um, and finally reined it in halfway through the season, but because that be, became a reflection of the coaching staff if we weren't able to rein that player in. So it still happens, and uh, I don't want the listeners to think that I'm beyond uh, showing that emotion. <laughs> um, I've In my career, I've thrown one helmet, and that was two years ago in between games of a doubleheader, and I th- uh, threw it into the wall uh, because I didn't have my clicker available to throw. I'll fill that. I'll fill that in in a minute. But uh, we we ended up losing the game because the player failed to execute the very thing we talked about during pregame, which the wind was blowing out. We we try to coach our players, and you're in the outfield. Your first step should at least be uh, open on a ninety, and it's so it's a step back, and you can react either way. But the wind was blowing out. We said today you, you your step has to be back. If right. it's in and it's a false step in, we're done. Sure enough, the ball goes out there. It should have been caught, but he missed it by the very amount that he took a step in. It went over his glove and fell to the ground. It should have been 
the out and go to extra innings instead. Uh, kid on second walked home. So we lost on that, and I was very frustrated. Obviously, I didn't show up the player, but those who were in between games knew when I threw my helmet, something wasn't right. Right. So uh, I understand that. That's why I'm speaking from experience that I know you can't control the emotion. Uh, but when I said I didn't have my clicker around, it's because I'm, I think, for five consecutive years in coaching travel ball, especially when we would travel into Canada, and you remember those because you, you coached as well. Um, I remember I took the clicker because the scoreboards weren't, works, weren't working or wouldn't always work, so I'd have my own clicker to keep track of balls and strikes and outs. And umpire clearly blew a call, and I just turned and just winged it, and I actually hit the light pole, and the clicker exploded million pieces all of the, the <laughs> wheels with the numbers went every which way on uh, i think that you know at some point i would throw one of those clickers uh, during the year and it just happens but again it didn't carry over and i didn't uh i knew better to go take it out an umpire in the field uh because in travel ball you've got more at stake you're wearing uh the uh, gear of the program uh, you know Everyone knows about New Era and things of that sort, so uh, we had to be mindful of uh, the uh, how we were dealing with umpires <laughs> and, and things on field. I mean, I remember when I first started, you know, my my first sit down conversation about wanting to be a coach. I was told like, you know, there are certain absolutes that that program went by at the time, and it was, you know, one of the big ones was if you got tossed, you didn't coach for us anymore, and. Uh, I actually did end up getting co- tossed as a coach of a New Era team in a, in, in, in a tournament in Connecticut, but uh, that actually worked out more in my favor than anything else because the umpire that threw me out actually ended up getting disbarred for a year because of the way he was handling himself that day. But that was, you know, that's a, a story for well, another see, that time. That goes to the earlier point where some umpires try to interject themselves not only into the game but they bait players and, and coaches. Oh, it was yeah, this, this was bad. I mean, this, this guy was talking to our hitters, but you know. You know, you know, curveball hits the plate. Come on, you know, calls it a strike. Come on, blue says to my batter. You know, well, next one strike three. No matter where it is, fastball at the eyes brings the kid up. I'm like, Johnny, what are you looking back at the umpire for? Well, the kid's in the windup. We told him he was going to ring me out no matter where the pitch was. You know that and that type of stuff. And you know, you as far as controlling emotion, it took about five innings of that for me to you know finally blow my stack. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, again, being being a competitor, you you know, I mean, I. At least once in my coaching career, I've kicked a bucket into a dugout that that field goal would have been good for fifty plus. I mean, that's, <laughs> and so some of my guys will, <clears throat> will still tell you that story because we were we were playing in Canada you know, and I knew three or four kids on the other team, and it was just aside from those three or four kids, it wasn't a very talented team we were playing against, but we were playing to like we were playing down to our competition at the that time. Happens. You know, it was Saturday morning game, same same type of thing. We just weren't awake, and it took uh, you know. First pitch, straight steal, fastest guy on my team, going to walk to second base because their only catcher was actually on the mound. So I knew I was getting the bag, and my kid swings through it, line, hits a lazy line drive to shortstop, doubles us off, and I'm like, "Yeah, take a pitch, dude. Like, Give give yourself a shot to score a run here. And he just, what do you mean? And there well, it went. <laughs> that opens up a line of discussion for another <laughs> podcast uh, altogether, but, uh, you know, Again, it's just the frustration level. We, we see it, and I think as coaches, sometimes uh, we want to show our players that we care, 
uh, and we have to show some emotion. Yes. But as coaches, I think we really have to understand the line that you can get up to and the line you can't cross. Right. Um, I still remember one, this was about two summers ago, I'd just gotten my Harley and I was out riding. My son was filling in on a team and I was going just to watch and be a dad, which is different because I, you know, for those that don't know, many podcast listeners may not know, I've had the fortune of coaching my son since he was uh, eight years old up until recently. Uh, we are now going to be conference rivals. He'll be at Pitt Bradford. I'll be at Hilbert. Uh, but I had the fortune of coaching him uh, and for a long time was considered just a dad coach and things of that sort. But uh, I think you know that um, it's more than that. But I was simply going to watch him. And it was I was looking forward to it because I hadn't been able to do that and just watch him play. And I get there, and uh, you know Jay Weitzel. Mm-hmm. Jay, Jay is like, Gresham, what are you doing? He said, I'm just here watching. You want to help out? And I'm thinking, I said, yeah, without hesitation. I'm thinking he's wanting to keep the book or something, right. right? No, he's like, go coach first base. I've got on jeans, a Harley pullover, and my boots. I don't have any <laughs> baseball gear because I'm going, so I rode the bike out there. Right. So here I am out there, and um, the the umpire heard uh, my son and another player chirping at each other, and I think it was after my son got hit in the head with a pitch like it it wasn't you know a fastball that would have caused any injury but nonetheless it was still a pitch at his head and it was intentional because this kid had been dotting his pitches he knew exactly what he was doing so my son and um, the kid were chirping a little bit and he the umpire spoke to my son and i here i am at first base i'm not really in a position to argue too much but I'm like, wait a minute, you're going to let the kid throw at the player's head. And I didn't say my son, but I said at the player's head and not let him chirp about it. And you're going to call him out for doing it. He's like, you don't talk to me uh, during this game. Only the head coach is. I said, I'm just asking you about game flow and what you're going to permit and how you're calling up. Sure enough, he's like, one more word, you're gone. I'm like, I could have gotten tossed because it wouldn't have mattered because I didn't really – need to be there anyway. Right. But the whole point was, and again, it goes back to the first point, umpires are getting too involved in it, but I almost got tossed when I wasn't even supposed to be coaching. Right. So uh, the emotion there <laughs> was twofold because, again, it was my son and his head got thrown at, but, um, you know, it, this, the umpires were trying to rein in too much when they didn't really need to be. Right. And, so, you know, sometimes there's there's certain things you got to just let slide. But, yeah. you know, as, again, we could talk umpires for – an hour. <laughs> right. And let's like, remind the readers that we're here to talk about <coughs> player decorum and coaches yes, decorum. Yes. Uh, not the umpires. Again, that's a subject for yet another podcast. Which I'm sure I will more than be able to cover. I've, you know, knock on wood, I've had a lot of people, you know, reach out and want to do this. This is actually the first time I've been able to, you know, because oh, every, everybody's so busy right now with, with the travel season. That was, you know, one of the things I was talking to Charlie is, you know, me and him are going to sit down and talk about some stuff, you know, potentially for next summer. And, he, uh, he's like, well, I just got home today and I'm leaving tomorrow and then I get home on Monday and I leave on Tuesday and then I get home from that on Sunday and I leave on Wednesday. And I'm like, yep, that used to be my schedule because I was right there with him. <laughs> get, get home and enough time to wash the clothes and get back on the road. 
Uh, and even more so when I started recruiting for Finger Lakes, uh, I would be at uh, Binghamton for the PBR games. I'd be at another PBR uh, tournament recruiting. Uh, so, yeah, I know that whole road life mm-hmm. and, and that schedule. Uh, but, yeah, we're there's so many facets to the game of baseball uh, that, again, you could probably line a podcast from for a different one every week, um, if not every day certain aspects but uh, but the player decorum uh, there's one thing that uh, you mentioned during your podcast which really prompted my uh, retweet uh, about getting me on here was like it. when you got tossed from the game or no you didn't get tossed you you dropped an f-bomb <laughs> about 38 of them. and your your dad told the coach pull him from the game and your coach came up to you and said the only reason you're still in the game is because I don't listen, I don't to, listen parents. to parents. Okay, so that's what prompted my my reply. <coughs> Excuse me, um, but it just it reminded me of things that are still happening, even at the collegiate ranks, um, which is parents are interjecting themselves mm-hmm. into the flow of the game when they shouldn't be. You can be a fan of your son or daughter, and you can voice your expression and up, you know, uh, displeasure with an umpire's call all you want, because that's part of how it is to be a parent and a fan. But can't stress enough: you have to let the coaches coach. Um, and once again, the point I just made about going out to watch my son play—I got thrown into. <laughs> coaching I didn't want to that day uh, but at no time during my t- uh, experience as a collegiate coach or even travel ball when my son would fill in on another team I just sat there and watched I didn't go over to the bench and say hey Gresh do this hey watch this I just sat back and watched because then we could he and I could talk about it afterwards right to analyze um, <clears throat> it's- too many parents are coming up now and I still remember we would run camps uh, at Finger Lakes, you know, instructional camps for younger players, 8, 9, 10, 11, yep. things of that sort. They're paying us to teach their kids, the coaches as well as some of the players, right? The players have all learned from myself as well as the head coach what we're looking for offensively. Right. You know, from stance all the way up and being connected, things of that sort. Well, Johnny had problems hitting because – he had his elbow up too high, and we purposely tried to drop it down so that he wouldn't have so much tilt to his bat and things of that sort. Don't you know in between his reps, Dad pulled him over and said, Johnny, keep your elbow up. Like, why did you just paid us? I, All right, so. I, refer, I refer to that as the little league <coughs> fix because, you know, people and, you know, weird, weird disclaimer here, you cannot hit a ball with your elbow by your ear, no matter how hard you try. Totally agree. <laughs> totally agree. I mean, any I, I defy anybody to hold their elbow up at their ear for the duration of their swing and figure out how to hit a ball that's not at their chin. And but that's and even if they there. set up that way, there's there's a different adjustment that happens once that swing initiates that allows the bat to get where it needs to be. Absolutely. But and again, unless uh, unless the parent who is saying that has played at or coached at a higher level than where I am or 
wherever they are, then they need not say anything because I'm always one to listen to those who have made it to a higher level or yep. who know more than me. I was a sponge when I was around Charlie, sponge around Jay Weitzel, uh, sponge around Coach Sean Marin. I look forward to being the sponge around uh, Coach Drew Fitchery. But I'm always trying to learn to get better. And the terminology may change, but some of the basic things don't change. When, when I was playing uh, back at Virginia Wesleyan, Coach was talking about having a flat swing. You don't hear that terminology now, but what do we talk about? Keeping the barrel in the zone as long as possible. Yep. That I'm going to make the argument that's still being flat because that's what he meant. And sometimes you cannot do that with your elbow up that high. So right. we're trying, and this player was old enough to understand about swing plane and things of that sort. So we were trying to give him a little bit of added instruction because he could understand that. But dad was there to undo that component. So, uh, but I think the parents just need to let the coaches coach at every level. If you've paid money, let the coaches, coaches coach. coach. <laughs> it's it's funny you mention it because when I was when I was with New Era, I think my guys were fourteen U, and we were playing at we were playing a, a, a Lou Gehrig team at the Lou Gehrig Complex out there in Williamsville, and you know um, my catcher that day just wasn't having a great day at the plate. It was just Everything was collapsing on the backside, and he hit three weak flyouts to the middle infield. And after his third one, he's going to the bench, and the, one of the guys who was my assistant, uh, Jeff Koval, Jeff, you know, comes to you know Johnny, come here, and you know starts talking to him. And the kid's dad is at the fence behind him, so Jeff actually turns the kid so his back is to his father. He's like, no, no, you're not looking over my shoulder, looking at him. You're trying to talk to me. When we're done, you can go talk to your father if you'd like. But I'm going to talk to you about your swing here, you know, here and now. But I want you here with me, not right. really over there. And there was a, a a guy in the stands at that game who just sitting there, bigger guy, bald, goatee, new era cap. May sound familiar of who you're sitting in front of. And <laughs> he, uh, just, hey, hey, buddy, you know, you, you know, Johnny, come here, Johnny, get over here, Johnny, get over here. And the kid was like, No, dude, I'm I'm good. I'm gonna. You know, I got to get my stuff on. There's two outs. I got to go catch. And, my, you know, it, it was my dad who was the guy sitting in the stands who they quietly show up to things sometimes. They don't tell anybody who they are. They're just there to watch. And then they go home and I'll get a phone call on my ride home. Like, oh, hey, what happened with this? What happened with that? You know, and they just, my dad, my dad's always been a baseball fan. He just likes to be around things and they take interest in what their son does, I guess. So, you know, he, hey, buddy, just let the coaches do their job. That's what they're out there for. The guy gets in my in my dad's face. Now again, has no idea who he is. Just what do you, you can't tell me I can't talk. That's my son out there. Do you have a kid on this team? Yeah, I do. I don't know who you are, but you, you can't tell me I can't talk to my son. He's like, look, if you want to coach, talk to Rich, get a uniform next year, and coach. Amen to that. And you know, it, it was funny because after the fact, the uh, probably about two weeks later, uh, we were playing at Beverly Hills. My sister used to live right over there, and. She walked the dog there. My parents showed up, and I was just shooting the shit with them before the game, shooting shooting the crap with them before the game, I guess. And uh, his wife was there. He wasn't. And all of a sudden, she looked at uh, actually Jeff Koval's wife. I was like, "Who's who's that couple that you know Jazz is talking to?" Oh, those are his parents. She turned ghost white 
and went home and chewed him a new one for the whole thing. Going like, you realize that you got, I mean, because he actually got in my dad's face, like mm-hmm. physically up in my dad's face. I had no idea the whole thing happened, but, uh, you know, it was like he apologized to me. He's like, if I'd have known that it was your dad, I'm like, doesn't matter who that is, man. Like, this, right. this was like the brand new partnership of New Era with the Inferno Baseball program. Like, how do you know that that's not just some big wig with New Era who's like, hey, I want to see what we're putting our name on. And that's that's the you know that's the the impression he gets from this whole thing and right. you know it's just I, I never understood it and I that story where my dad told the coach pull him you know that was the only time my dad really interjected himself in any game I've ever played in or coached in really and that was more because he was so angry at me he wanted to like leave the field and handle it at home yeah there's definitely (laughs) there's no overstepping for a dad to discipline his son right um because then that on field uh decorum or lack thereof in that instance for you (laughs) you know dad could have taken that as a reflection upon him and he uh, he absolutely did and, and that's that much i wouldn't object with right or object to because hey Maybe it's things that we as a coaching staff would let slide. You want to express yourself on the field, that's fine. And again, as players get older, F-bombs and things happen. Uh, but if a player or, or if a parent thinks a player crossed the line and approached the dugout and said, hey, if you need to pull my son, go ahead, you know, I, I think that would be received differently than trying to bark in order. Because and, and right. again, as coaches, and you, you and I both know – don't come into my dugout telling me how to coach a game, you know. Um, and, and those who have been around higher level baseball know not to do that. I mean, quite honestly, we, with with a player we had drafted from Finger Lakes, we had scouts run all the time, and they wanted to watch them throw bullpens. Our bullpen was right off of the dugout, so they right. were part of the way in there. These are guys that who have played, who have been around the game. You know what? I want you in there because I'm going to ask you some questions so I can learn. But um, that's really the only time outsiders are allowed to come in, uh, but still we're trying to learn because they've played at the higher level. Right. And, and if it just so happens that it was a relative of uh, the player who got drafted and he wanted to impart some knowledge to us or uh, tell him, hey, remember this before you throw your bullpen for the scouts, that's different altogether because we're talking higher level stuff but the main point is you know unless you have done this at a higher level uh you, you shouldn't be in the dugout or yelling anything to help to try and help a player it's right. an emotional attachment which is kind of the subject of, of, of the whole podcast but you have to remember that the coach is coach yeah absolutely and uh it's, it's actually funny mentioning because after that instance with that kid's father we instituted a rule as a coaching staff that you know, unless your father is in uniform or your parents are in uniform, they're not allowed on my bench. Like you have to be wearing my uniform to be on my bench. And we we had a kid. Um, his name was Garrett. He great kid, hard worker, and uh, he ended up going on playing at Fredonia for a few years, I believe. He uh, he got in an incidental collision at first base, got his bell rung pretty good, and he's sitting on the bench and he's got an ice pack on his head and. His mom comes running in. He's like, "Mom, get out of here! You're gonna get me pulled from the game." And I'm like, "Dude, dude, this yeah, this is different. Like, this is mom yeah. checking on her son. Like, we, yeah. you know, I get that. Like, you know, this is a little little different story, but you know, exception every rule, I guess. But uh, yeah, I agree. And I mean, it's it's definitely tough policing the all of the emotions that surround, especially youth prep, and you know, even in a 
know, collegiate sports. Right. Just you know, just I've always taken it as at some level, you know, what you do, you know, reflects me. Right. You know, and I try to hold myself to a certain standard, and I know other people do the same. And it, it actually drives me nuts when I see coaches who allow certain things, and like you, you kind of look at it, and you're like, I. I respect you enough as a coach that I I want you to not let that happen, right. kind of thing. But yep, seeing that as well, um, but we're all individuals, and we've been impacted differently by you know uh, who we've been around and who we've learned from uh, to become coaches and things of that sort. So yeah, I agree with you that you know you might see another coach allowing things to happen that you would want to clean up if it were happening to your own squad, but. Uh, the main thing is I like coaches to respect the game, and, and, and for the most part, they do. But I, I think at the same note, you have guys that are coaching that didn't play at a higher level that just don't know. And by higher level, I mean if you went on – if you coached an elite high school team and, and you didn't want to go collegiately, but you, you have a state title or you have a, a local title or something, or you played at a higher level and are now – you want to stay with the casual coaching travel that counts as higher level, right? It doesn't mean you have to have been pro or had to have been D one or what have you, but, but you can tell those guys when they're coaching because they run their team a certain way and have certain expectations. But the one who's just truly a dad coach that really doesn't know the finer points and doesn't know that if you're up 12, nothing, you don't need to steal anymore uh, unless you're trying to save pitching and it, the run rule is in effect and it, you need to get to 15. I don't like that, but I understand it. Right. And I don't want to be on that, you know, end of that 15-0 route, uh, but I understand that. But if it's 12 nothing and it's the sixth inning and there's no mercy rule, you shouldn't be running. Right. There are guys that <clears throat> may not know that. That's just one of the unwritten rules of baseball. Uh, just little things or hustling like we talked about earlier. Run it out. Yeah. Derek Jeter, I remember he's, I don't know if it was his quote directly or if he was quoting someone else, but he said, it doesn't take talent to hustle. So if you've popped out, hustle. Get down to first base, and then we can talk later about why you popped out because maybe I saw something uh, that you did. And like you said, that one player would popped out uh, weak flies three times. Your assistant coach saw something and pulled him aside to help correct it. Right. Uh, so... You never know. You know, it's it's one of those things that a, a play like that can can swing a game in the weirdest of ways. You know, and I've I've I had it happen this past year with the high school. You know, had a kid hit that weak fly and you know watched it and then kind of tossed the bat and took like a leisurely jog and, it, and there was a, a minor miscommunication between the middle infielders. The ball hit the dirt, but it bounced right to one of them, and they looked saw the kid was halfway down the base path only. And threw him out of first, and I'm like, I'm like, dude, you you could have been almost on second if you ran that hard. And sure enough, a couple games later, we had a similar situation where the kid who I think he was our like our, our eight hitter, you know, he's not he's in he's he's in our lineup because defensively we need him there. And same thing, weak pop up, and that kid ended up standing on second base and watched the ball hit the dirt three feet from him, and went. You know, we're, I'm sitting there going, I don't care. Give him a double in the book because that to me is a double more so than, you know, any, yeah. I'll take that as much as I'll take the gap shot because right. you earned that second base. Right. Like, 
And to, you know, so that level of hustle we'd like to see, but I'll tell you collegiately, <clears throat> what ends up happening is because you know, players are better athletically because they're playing collegiate ball, we can't always encourage our guy to go ahead and take second base on a ball like that. We want them to hustle. Right. And if they have seen that there's no one covering second base, if third baseman hasn't you know, slid over to cover the back, then yeah, go ahead and take it. Right. But a well-coached team is going to have a player who realizes, okay, my shortstop and second baseman have gone into short right to try and get that ball or short center, whatever it may be seconds uncovered and if he goes up to cover that now all of a sudden the ball that does drop there's a player there to receive the throw and we had a guy banged out he was trying to hustle we couldn't fault him for hustling on that because right. it was a ball in no man's land and he got thrown out but after that we were kind of like well you had first base you know we could have been that you were the leadoff guy love the hustle but let's be smarter next time right because they had the guy covering the bag. That was that's the difference between that's baseball awareness. Yeah. You know, like when you said that one instance where uh, you know you had the bag stolen, but a guy hit a liner, they take the pitch. He didn't know. Right. Well, our player knew to hustle, and he did, and dropped, and no one was covering. He just did take that extra peek to see the guy sliding over from third. So, right. Um, but he, again, we always like players to hustle. And we actually had an, uh, the reverse, not the reverse of that, but the player took an extra bag because third base was left unoccupied. Mm-hmm. It was a um, ball to uh, short left. Third baseman goes out. Shortstop goes out, obviously. Um, second baseman was daydreaming. Our guy went to second base and saw that third was unoccupied, and he took that bag. That's a that's still hustle. Yeah. But that's a that's awareness as well. Right. Uncover bag, you take it because obviously the catcher wasn't going to slide up to cover, and the pitcher, um, I think he should have been over there covering third, but he wasn't, so he took the bag. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we uh, we actually our our very first sectional title at Lancaster, we won. We beat Clarence in the semifinal, and they were, I mean, they had Mark Armstrong, kid was throwing ninety one as a, as a junior, and you know we laid down a couple bunts that you know. We he ended up pan, you know not letting his catcher field. He threw the ball to right field twice. We scored two runs, and in the top of the fifth, um, Mark Matteris, who was a, a new era boy for years, comes up and rips a double on us. You know, double the gap, and you know he gets to the fence. We got our double cut going out, and you know he's just it, it, again caught up in the emotion of it. Takes a huge round at second base, and here comes our first base and trotting behind him and. Ball comes into Benny Hafner, who bang, turn, wheels it, get the guy out, and you just saw their whole team go from, you know, you know, one, one bloop single. We're in a one, you know, one at the thing. I think at the time it was a one-run game. Like you know, it's a tie ball game with a bloop single here, no outs with a leadoff double. To, oh, yep. it's over, and, and then from there they didn't ever threaten again. Right. You know, and that's. Right. You mentioned something in that uh, about Mark Armstrong. Uh, I remember Mark, but it, it triggered uh, my the other part of your podcast was about pitch counts. Yep. Uh, and I'll just say this with respect to that. <clears throat> there needs to be pitch counts. And I know the rule was passed because I coached at St. Mary's as well. And I know there, there were pitch counts instituted for the last year that I was there. And it needs to be that way 
to prohibit overuse. Um, I don't know the whole Mark Armstrong saga. Don't profess to know it. I just know that there was a bit of overuse that impacted his longevity yes. in the professional ranks. Um, so it also behooves uh, the college coaches to be mindful of pitch counts. And for the most part, I've seen that that, um, you know, we're cognizant of that. Uh, at least we were because we knew with Tanner Cooper, the player that got drafted, we were mindful of his commitment to Penn State. Mm -hmm. And we're also aware of the teams that were coming to watch him and interested. And so um, after he pitched game one, he was a DH for the next game and the first game the next day we played. And then um, if we had the luxury, he'd DH for both games. And then we put him back at shortstop um, or we allowed him to go in the second game because it was a throw day anyway. Right. So we were very mindful of that to protect the arm. And that's one of the messages if you're listening to uh, this podcast and you're a coach. And uh, you shouldn't value winning over the future of a kid. Yeah. I mean, because the talent level or the next level potential stands out. You know when you, you've got one. Yeah. Don't wear out his arm to impact his future just for a win because no one's going to care about the wins. No one cares about the wins you got at New Era, do they? Nope. No one cares about the wins I got or, or anything during travel ball. Um, yes, wins and losses, which, again, driving the emotional uh, component, are recorded much more so for high school and college, uh, but we don't sacrifice a kid's future for a win. You know, last uh, last week, I, when I made mention of it, the uh, we've gotten lucky the past two years to, uh, you know, against a kid who has got a very very live arm, um, you know, and I've mentioned a few players' names by name, but they've come and gone and are you know well well past the high school and college ranks. So I don't want to bring in a kid's name that or a program's name because I don't want anybody to think I'm bashing anybody. But two years in a row, we got lucky that we played this team and they threw their best arm against us three to four days after he threw a complete game. He went out through a complete game through a gem. So it was only 70-some pitches, 80-some pitches. And by the rule, he was okay to throw. And when he came in against us, who had, you know, two years ago had a really, really good offensive lineup, and last year we had a solid offensive lineup still, not nearly what it was the year before, but still good. And we, we knocked him around the yard both times. And, you know, you look at it and the, you, could, you, you just knew he wasn't the same kid. And, you know, that young man is now going to a Division One school who has basically told him, you are not throwing this summer because we need you to heal. And I, I, can't, I can't help but think that, you know, missing an entire season of live game looks, li like an entire summer of live game looks, live game reps, and, you know, facing kids your age, potential college kids, stuff like that, it's going to set him a little behind because you want it, that's what you want to face. That's who you want to see going into a Division One pitching career. Right. You know, but at the same time, you know, he goes out and throws the summer for some guy who doesn't care that he just threw 40 pitches last night to close a game and says, well, I need to win this one tonight for this league, that league, this team, that team, whatever. And all of a sudden that kid doesn't have a D1 college career. Right. That's yeah, that's it exactly. Um, so, 
Anyway, it looks like we're wrapping up on yeah. time. Because... Yeah, we're, uh, well, this is actually the longest episode yet, so <laughs> we're right around the 45-minute mark on recording, and I think that's good enough. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on. My thanks. pleasure, my friend. Good always a pleasure. Always a pleasure to talk to you, and uh, you know, good seeing you. All right, good seeing you too. All right, brother. Thanks.